If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we can just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast, I welcome you to episode 36 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This week I have a reoccurring guest coming back for his second time. I got Sri Ram with me. What's up, my man? Uh, what's up? How's it going? It's great, man. Happy to have you back on the podcast. I see you're uh, you're moving up in the in the world of the MMA media. Tell me about this new uh, this new gig you got writing for uh, Sports Illustrated. Oh, no, it's for fan-sided, which powers the, I believe, underdeveloped MMA arm of uh, Sports Illustrated. But, yeah, it's pretty fun. Wrote the first piece for uh, this upcoming card that we're about to talk. Hey, it's only underdeveloped for a little bit more of time because I'm sure that you'll lead that thing into being, uh, you know, a leading and a source in MMA. Hey, it's got the resources behind it. It probably just needs a, a few more, con- uh, you know, content contributors, and uh, you're, you're one of them getting it on the ground level. So props to you on that, man. Congrats. Thank you. So uh, we got a card ahead of us this weekend. It is the first UFC card in three weeks, and it is also the first card in an eight-week stretch of nine UFC events, I believe, if I'm correct. Eight weeks in a row, we'll be having episodes for you. Even one week, we're, we're going to have two episodes in one week to preview the, the UFC cards on Friday and Saturday. I believe that's not till December, though. So this week, the UFC is in Montcon, Canada. Um, and we have UFC Fight Night 138, which is headlined by Volkan Ozmir versus um, Anthony Smith. And uh, let's see, what province is Montcon in? Do you have any idea? New, Brun- New Brunswick, Canada. New Brunswick. Yeah, yeah, wherever the hell that is. I've never heard of this place before. But uh, there's a, you know, it's a little bit of an underwhelming card. But after you do some uh, some investigating into the matchups, there's actually a lot of close matchups on this one. So uh, what was your first take on the card? And uh, after studying it for a while, what, what are you excited for now? Uh, first take is that the two best fighters on the card are hidden in the middle of the FS2 prelims, which is kind of unfortunate. But after Michael Johnson joined on, that's three, at at least three very, very good strikers on the card, which makes it worth it, even with the general lack of real relevant names. Seems like basically everyone's coming off a loss on this one, some two, so... It's fun, but it doesn't seem to carry that much consequence. For sure, uh, good good point. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people making their debuts as well. Uh, Don Madge, Tay Edwards, a couple uh, a couple women um, are not not making their debuts, but I think searching for uh, 
some of their first UFC victories, and Jonathan Martinez also making his debut. So with that said, we will start the first fight of the night. Stevie Ray, who is 21-8, and eight, is taking on Jessen Ayari, who is 16-4. and four. Now over on the betting end of this, we had the opening line open up. Jessen Ayari plus 165, Stevie Ray minus 215. The lines have since tightened up. Jessen Ayari is plus 130, Stevie Ray minus 150. So a lot of money coming in on Ayari on Ari, kind of surprised about this one uh, i watched uh, a couple of these guys fights lately and uh, stevie ray you know is a pretty consistently good guy he's got striking he's got grappling and uh justin Ari, man i just got i thought he was weird i thought his striking was bad he looked really desperate and in his fight against darren till he looked bad on the ground um really just awkward guy that was a, a really awkward fight to watch uh darren till versus justin Ari, which Ari eventually lost but you know I, I disagree with the line movement on this one i i agree more with the opener at stevie ray in the minus 200s area i think stevie ray will get this one done uh, stevie ray is a generally solid talent for the division he's he gets a bad rap for the Cajun Johnson loss just because people underrate Cajun Johnson, in my opinion, who got absolutely robbed blind by Rustin Kabalov and then got kicked out of the division or out of the UFC. But he's generally solid. He's not terrible anywhere. His loss to Paul Felder signaled the end of his contract, and he's sort of been meandering since. And I don't think Justin Ayari's very good at all. He I haven't seen him that much, to be totally honest with you, but the one fight I've seen of him, the Darren Till fight, it was not at all a good showing. And, I mean, that's something to be expected against a number one contender, but that's, you know, that's just how it is. Stevie Ray, I cap it somewhere near minus 200, the opening line. Yeah, I mean, Darren Till in that fight didn't even didn't look that good either. I think Ari was maybe uh, able to take him down once or twice, and but not really hold him there, but... Uh, Till uh, just really just was hurting him a lot. It really looked like he had his number uh, from the jump and just couldn't finish him. So, uh, yeah, I wish I watched that fight before his Woodley fight. I would have been even more confident in Woodley. Um, oh, I was on Till there, and I regret it. But <laughs> Till landed probably the best punch of his entire UFC career against Ayari, where Ayari literally ran in with his chin up onto a really, really nice uppercut. And that's pretty much the only thing I remember from that fight. Neither one really distinguished themselves past Till with that uppercut. Yes, so. I mean, Till had a lot of good straight lefts in that fight. I mean, he was tagging them. He always got a bit of a chin on him. So if Ray wins this one, I think it'll be a decision via wrestling. And moving on to the heavyweight fight, uh, we have Arjun Bueller, who is 7-1, taking on Marcelo Golm, who is 6-1. Marcelo Gom opened up plus 150. Arjun Bueller opened up minus 180. The uh, the line sunk pretty deeply after that, though. Uh, Marce- Marcelo Gom went up to a pretty uh, decent-sized underdog around plus 200 and then has been bet down a decent amount since then. Uh, I think that the value is clearly on Marcelo Gom on this one, even probably worthy of a bet. Uh, I mean, I think both of them are are. are boxers that's their strength uh, we've seen both of them uh or we've seen bueller maybe shoot for a few takedowns in his last fights but he doesn't really have good top control i don't think he's going to be able to t- keep marcel Gom down like tim johnson did when he beat marcel Gom. but we saw arjun bueller just have a terrible ground game terrible mental ability terrible cardio in his last fight when he got submitted um, by adam was short check 
Um, so, you know, I, I think that uh, Marcel Gomes will, uh, this will be a boxing match. I think one of these guys will probably end up going down, even though both of them uh, aren't really notorious for the knockout power. But I'm going to favor Gomes in this one. My takes on Arjun Buller are pretty much exactly the opposite of yours. Because, I mean, it's pretty funny. I think Arjun Buller, like an Oma Plata at heavyweight is kind of a, it's not, it doesn't happen. It really shouldn't happen. It's a glitch in the matrix. And saying that it's like a mental game thing is something that I really doubt. Uh, he's not, like he's an Olympic wrestler type person. I don't really know anything about his credentials, but I've heard he had some connections to the Olympics. He's with AKA and I don't generally rate AKA as a team, except when it comes to turning already established wrestlers into decent strikers with a wrestling framework. So I don't think Marcelo Gomes is going to be able to get too much going against Arjun Buller, given that he wasn't able to get too much going against Tim Johnson. And Tim Johnson is, he didn't really get him down, right? He sort of just held him against the wall. It was a Czech Congo type performance. I think Arjun Buller takes him down, keeps him down, gets the decision. Nice. So we're, we're, we're going different ways on that one. And uh, next fight, we have a lightweight fight. Two fighters both making their UFC debuts. Tay Edwards, who is 6-1, and one, coming off the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, is taking on Don Madge, who is 7-3-1. Now, t- listen closely to this, this line movement. This is the biggest line movement I have ever seen in my entire life. Don Madge opened up minus 305, Tay Edwards plus 225. Don Madge has gone from minus 300 to plus 385. A complete like 180, not not like a minus 100 flips to plus 100. He went from minus 300 to plus 300. Uh, I mean, let's see. Uh, Best fight odds has percentages on how much the lines have increased in their in their uh, careers. Let's see this. This line went down 173 percent. Um, so I'm, I mean, it's just it's just I mean... unheard of. These Dana White guys seem to really have like an extra minus 200 built into their lines. I've made some good money on um, Darren Stewart against Charles Bird. It was some good money just because the line was so off. And yeah, the value bet here has to be Madge, even though I know basically nothing about either. Yeah, I watched a bit of tape on both of them. Uh, Madge is a uh, is a Muay Thai striker. He uh, has a few losses uh, via um, uh, all different methods, TKO, decision, and guillotine. While uh, uh, Tay Edwards is also a good striker himself, a real powerful puncher. And, um, you know, I think this one will be contested on the feet. Uh, I mean, uh, Dana White's, the Dana White show, uh, Tay Edwards just went in there and blasted a dude in 30 seconds and knocked him out. So I think that's where a lot of the line is coming from. So no way you can trust him at, you know, minus 300, minus 400. You got to, you know, you almost got to make a value play on Don Madge at plus 385. I mean, a Muay Thai striker versus another striker, it, it, I don't think this fight's going to go to the floor. And I think we could see a fairly close kickboxing match between the two. So I think people are relying way too heavy on Edwards getting the first round knockout. And uh, this line is definitely off. Yep. I mean, I feel like this could sort of end up being a bad beat just because T. Edwards is the kind of come out aggressive and that could easily end up in a first round finish for him. But regardless of whether he wins this one, minus 500 ranging from minus 485 to minus 550. 595 that's absolutely insane against anyone even like there is no point there's basically no point where i would expect this to justify a minus 500 it would have to be an absolute skull fuck for that to happen yeah for sure i mean, i think uh you know 
I think the full props are out for this one. I imagine fight starts round two would probably be the best uh, bet of the fight, considering you know he might. Um, uh, t- you know, Madge not might not uh, win a round. He might not win a decision, but he still might survive until the second or third. So, uh, I think that uh, that'll be worth a, a stab, possibly. But um, moving on, we have uh, a, a little bit of a painful, painful matchup going on here. Sarah Moras <laughs> taking on Talita Bernardo. Uh, Sarah Moras is five and three. Talita Bernardo is four and three. This betting line opened up Bernardo plus two hundred five, Moras at minus two eighty five. Line Martins have tightened up a lot. Uh, Bernardo is down to plus 150, and Moras is minus 170. And both of these women are uh, are decent grapplers. You know, I've, I watched a, a few of their fights. I painfully sat through a couple of their fights uh, leading up to this card. And, uh, you know, Bernardo, uh, still looking for her first UFC win. She has lost to Marion Renault and uh, Irene, Irene Aldana, both tough competition. She, uh, you know, in those fights, she was really just, you know, grasping for legs. She was, uh, she was, you know, trying to get a takedown. She was, she was, she was getting them. You know, she was getting hurt on the feet against Aldana, but then she would, you know, die for a takedown and then maybe get Aldana down for thirty seconds and then, you know, get her wits back about her. But neither of these women have good striking. Um, Sarah Moras has has gotten a victory in the UFC um, against Ashley Evans Smith via armbar. Um, she's also lost to Lucy Putalova, just got outstruck in that fight completely. Uh, it's funny, you know, we've seen Putalova and Aldana have that great fight recently, and both of these women have fought Putalova and Aldana separately and both fought a very similar fight, which was, you know, looking for those takedowns while getting outstruck. So um, I believe that, the, oh man, it's hard to make a pick in this one, but it, it's got to be 50-50, honestly. But when, a lot, when the fight is 50-50 and one of them is plus 150, then it might be worth a little bit of a play. So I think Talita Bernardo is uh, is a bet on this situation. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, it'll be a close grappling match. And like I said, 50-50, and one of them is plus 150. you got to make a play. Uh, I generally pass on this sort of low-level women's MMA fight just because they're so chaotic. You can't really trust either of them to do anything that you think they will do based on their last few fights. And what I mean by that is... Like, you look at half, not half, 70 to 80% of these sorts of low-level women's MMA fights, they they tend to end by either guard armbar or someone giving up their back off a botched head and arm choke or head and arm throw. So I really can't bet on someone. That said, I saw someone on Twitter say that Talita Bernardo's good at one thing, which is sitting in someone's guard, and Sarah Morris is good at one thing, which is getting guard submission. So, I mean... It- to go based on that information alone is going to be Sarah Morris, but this is a solid, solid pass for me. Yeah, I mean, we would be lucky to see a submission in this one. I mean, I think that the most likely scenario is a boring decision that, you know, one of them, you know, uh, lays and prays more than the other, and the judges maybe kind of just guess whoever woman won that round. But I think that uh, I would be delighted to see either woman submit one another in this situation. Like I said, both of them are pretty high level. I believe Bernardo is a black belt, but uh, Morales also has good ground game. And um, we're going to move on to a fight that you're very interested in. Your boy Calvin Cater, 18-3, and three, taking on Chris Fishgold, who is 17-1. and one. The betting line in this one opened up at Calvin Cater minus 450, Chris Fishgold plus 330. Line margins have tightened up. Uh, Calvin Cater is minus 270 now, and Chris Fishgold's plus 230. I'll let you go first on this one. Give me your take on this fight. 
Uh, okay, so overall, I don't know how Calvin Cater can't be anyone's boy because the guy is absolutely awesome. The Burgos fight was probably... It's behind Romero Whitaker, too, and maybe Poirier Gaethje is my favorite fight of the year so far because that shit was fire. Calvin Cater... Probably one of the best jabs at featherweight, which is a pretty high level of praise given that Edgar and Holloway are in that division. An overall very, very strong. His issue with Moicano, I think, wasn't just the kicking game because Andre Feely's a kicker, but I think it was also the fact that Moicano was able to out-jab him. And you're not going to run into another guy who's going to out-jab Calvin Cater until you hit the top five, until you hit Max Holloway, probably. So I think Calvin Cater is going to have a little bit of he's going to be underrated until he faces a good kicker and beats them just because how bad that Moicano performance looked he sort of looked like a Diaz brother but uh, Chris Fishgold I know he's a grappler I know he's very good he's from Cage Warriors but I honestly think Calvin Cater is a future top five guy because there aren't too many people that are going to be able to deal with his brand of fighting and I'm going to say Calvin Cater by middle round knockout. Uh, all respect to Chris, Chris Fishgold, but he's facing a monster here for his debut. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Cater as well. I really like that fight against um, Burgos, like you mentioned, and was pretty shocked when he lost against uh, Moiscano. But um, really, Moiscano really did, like you said, jab him up in that one and just uh, outstrike him. But um, you know, there's a couple interesting things to this fight. Chris Fishgold is a uh, was a Cage Warriors 155 champion is now dropping down to 145 for this fight. And Fishgold, man, he looked like pretty big 155er. Uh, you know, I honestly I suspect that he's coming off of you know some special sauce and is now <laughs> dropping down the weight classes. I mean, there's that's the only reasonable explanation. This dude, it was a big framed 175 pound you know lightweight. And all of a sudden, he's making 145. So I'll be really interested to see him on the scales tomorrow. That'll be a huge indicator for this fight. Uh, but, you know, Fishgold's, like you said, wrestling really good, man. He He's, uh, you know, I know you hate this type of style, but he is he will wrestle you to the ground and just lay on top of you and win rounds like that. And that's what, that's what he did against uh, this gentleman, uh, Webb. Uh, let me remember his first name. Uh, Nick Webb in his uh, Cage Warriors fight. He went the full five rounds. Um, Fishgold was taking him down, going for uh, submissions, and uh, of this Nick Webb guy was tough as shit, and he and he uh, lasted to the decision. Um, Fishgold also has uh, a recent submission. His most recent fight was a submission over Alexander Jacobson in Cage Warriors. Uh, he was eight and one coming into that fight, so you know a very legitimate opponent he was taking on, and he uh, choked him out, but. One thing that worries me again about Fishgold is his inactivity. He's only had two fights in the past two years while Cater's been uh, very active. You know, I, I believe Cater will win the stand-up of this one pretty easily, but I think Cater's takedown defense and ground game is a little bit unknown. Uh, I imagine in some of his earlier CES fights, or his regional fights, his ground game was, you know, maybe shown in that, but I, I haven't watched those fights. So, uh, you know, his ground game is a little bit unknown, but if if Cater is able to stuff the takedowns, uh, then I believe that he will win this one easily. Uh, Fishgold is just not the same fighter as him on the feet, but, you know, if, if Fishgold's able to get Cater down, uh, which, you know, he might be able to a few times, this fight will get interesting. So, if I have to go with a, a bet on this one, I'm going to go with the, the value on the underdog at plus 230, but if I had to pick, I would uh, cap Calvin Cater around uh, minus 175 or somewhere around there. So, But this one should be a good fight. Yeah, yeah uh, I think 
Kellen Cater, his takedown defense is untested, but on the other hand, Moicano is a decent takedown artist, and he didn't really go for that many. And Cater, he's, his boxing footwork doesn't lend itself well to defending low kicks and kicks in general, but he's generally adept enough at not being herded into a corner that I don't think Chris Fish will be able to get too much done. There are like three guys in the UFC with a good shot in open space. So I think, I feel relatively confident about Calvin Kidder. I wouldn't cap it at where the line is now, but probably somewhere around minus 200. Yeah, good thing, good point about what you said. I mean, he fought guys like Moiscano and Feely, who are both good, you know, wrestlers and grapplers, and they did not get any grappling off in that show, in that uh, that fight. So, that's a good sign. But uh, moving on to the one fifty five pound division, we have Nasrat Hakurpass. Never really learned how to say his last name, but taking on Theobot Gotti. Uh, Nasrat is nine and two. Uh, Gotti is twelve and four. Nasrat coming off of an impressive win against uh, Mark Casey and Theobot Gotti coming off of a a tough, questionable decision against um, Sage Northcutt. Nasrat opened up in this one at minus three fifty. Gotti at mi- plus two fifty. The line is now minus nine hundred on Nasrat. Nine hundred. Uh, Gotti plus five or plus six hundred. Excuse me, man. That line is just so fucking wide. I I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Nasrat, you know, he's a good fighter. You know, people, but people act like he's some knockout artist. You know, he has he has eight knockouts, right? You know, six of them are over fighters with zero wins, zero. He just fought cab driver after cab driver after can, you know, and then now he's, you know, being made out to be this, uh, this finisher, his inside the distance line is over plus or over minus 200. Uh, so I, I think Nasrat will win this one, but I think it's going to be a decision and it's going to shock a lot of people that, uh, Gotti is, is, is pretty tough and is not, is not a slouch. I mean, he just arguably beat C- Sage Northcutt. He, uh, you know, has a win over Andrew Holbrook, a little bit of a tough, uh, UFC career before then having three straight losses, but I, I mean, I think the guy's a, a decent fighter and should not be anywhere around plus 600, so uh, in terms of, I don't think Gotti's worth a bet, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to win this fight, but I think that uh, not Nasrat inside the distance is, uh, is a good play, and I've already made that. So, uh, what's your take on this one? Uh, I think Nasrat, before the UFC, he wasn't much, but his two showings in the UFC have been absolutely impressive. I think the held fight was a robbery, Hack Parast deserved that one very, very easily. It was a 30-27 Hack Parast, in my opinion. And the only way that everyone's decisions is justified if they mixed up who was to. But the Diakizi uh, fight was tremendously impressive. It was evocative of, a, um, of an RDA performance. He beat the crap out of poor Mark, who you know hasn't been having a good go of it lately with Dan Hooker and Drakkar Close. So... That isn't a high-quality win, but the way he got it was 100% high-quality. And this is one of the rare minus 900, minus 1,000 that I think is justified in the sense that I think there's going to be an absolute destruction. It might not be a finish because Hack Parast isn't the kind to rush for a finish, but I do think it will be just a total, total domination because the reason they've given Hack Parast Goody in the first place, and this is my guess, this is total speculation, is because Hack Parast has not that many highlights in the UFC in the sense that the health fight has the knockdown and the hack, uh, the Jacuzzi fight just has hack Parash beating him pillar to post for 15 minutes and a good knockout over Goody might get him a little bit more hype, but I don't think the knockouts are given. 
Uh, I do think, however, that Goody is not nearly good enough to hang with Nasrat Hakparast. Nice, nice. I uh, checked the, the, the both these decisions we were talking about. Gotti, around uh, 12 out of 18 people gave him that fight versus Northcutt. And uh, Nasrat only getting one out of about 18 people scoring that fight for him. Most of the people thought that one. I don't remember that fight with Held, though. So, um, uh, it was... It was very, okay, so I saw the media scorecards, and it's sort of one of the fights that I bring up when people bring up the media for every other fight. <laughs> it has to not know the scoring criteria to score that for Marcin Held, in my opinion. Marcin Held got pretty much battered round one. He got battered round two. He got, he didn't get battered round three. He held Nasrat down for the first few minutes, and then Nasrat poured on the pressure and did more effective work in the last few minutes than Held did with all of his control. So I think Hackparast picked that one up very, very, very comfortably and Held just used the time suck to his advantage. Interesting. Yeah, I would have to go go back and watch that. These rounds do seem very, very close uh, according to the uh, MMA decisions. But we'll uh, move on to the next fight. We have Nordin Taleb, who was 14-5, taking on Sean Strickland, who was 19-3. Nordin Taleb opened up at... Minus 135, Sean Strickland at plus 115. Definitely the closest fight we've seen so far. And right now, Nordin Taleb is plus 100, Sean Strickland minus 120. So a little bit of a line flip in this one. These line margins have uh, tightened up uh, a lot. And, uh, you know, this is a tough fight, man. Sean Strickland is a very traditional, you know, uh, jab-type striker. You know, he likes using a lot, like, likes winning fights via decision, while T Taleb is kind of a wild, I mean, he's a wild, strong puncher. And, uh, you know, he had some success with that in his last fight, but then he eventually, uh, Claudio Silva weathered the storm and took him down and tapped him out. Nordin Taleb's ground game is not very good, but uh, he does have very, very powerful striking. And, um, you know, it's interesting, man. I th part of me thinks that Strickland will be able to out-jab him and, you know, use, you know, kicks and whatnot to win a decision. Part of me thinks that um, um, Taleb will swarm him and maybe catch his chin like Aleski Dos Santos did. But uh, Strickland's got a pretty good chin. I mean, it might be pretty hard to, to do that. So really hard to pick this fight from a betting perspective, but I, I think I'm going to lean Strickland. Uh, I'm in the same place. I think Nordin Taleb, the biggest concern I have about him after the Claudio Silva fight is his fight IQ. If I remember correctly, he went for a leg lock and then committed to that leg lock and didn't use it for anything other than trying to go for the leg lock. And that was bizarre to me, considering he was facing a legit grappler, and I would think he would be the better striker. He was catching Silva's kicks fairly easily throughout the first round until he, you know, made the blunder. And one thing that you can't ever say about Sean Strickland is that he's a wild man. And I mean that in both the best and the worst ways. He's tremendously boring when he gets his game going, but he is a very, very good fighter. He Basically, everyone he's faced, save those three that he's lost to, He's been able to out-jab, he's been able to out-strike, he's been able to out-smart. And that means that I can't trust Nordin Taleb to not survive. He's going to survive. He's most likely going to survive. Strickland has like one finish. But I can't trust Nordin Taleb to thrive under the intelligent assault of Sean Strickland. Yeah, it's gonna be gonna be a good fight, honestly. I think it'll either end in round one for uh, Taleb or it'll be a decision for Strickland. 
And uh, moving on, we have another 170-pound fight. Court McGee coming back for the first time in a while, who is 18-7, taking on Alex Garcia, who is 15-5. This fight opened up Alex Garcia minus 175, Court McGee plus 135. Not much line movement on this one. Alex Garcia minus 190, Court McGee plus 165. It's uh, you know it's hard to trust either of these guys, honestly. Um, this is probably like. The, the least interesting fight of the card, honestly. And, you know, uh, Court McGee has lost four of six in the UFC over the past five years. I mean, he, he's really struggled with activity. Uh, and then uh, Alex Garcia is, you know, he's not very promising. He he uh, lost that last fight to Brian LaFlair, was taken down and just kind of held down. Uh, you know, he, he's got some decent striking, got decent power on the feet, but he's just too wild and he he doesn't really have a well-rounded game so you know it's 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 tough to even pick a, uh, who I think is going to win this fight um I, I would go with Alex Garcia just because he's he's the more active, the more uh, you know he's shown a little bit more lately than Court McGee, who's looked you know pretty helpless since uh, 2016. I want to say so. I'm gonna pick uh, and even that his his win he hasn't had a, a, a serious win since Robert Whitaker uh, five years ago, which obviously is a good win. But um, I'm gonna go with uh, Alex Garcia in this one, but not not expecting any any good uh, entertainment out of this fight. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's Cork McGee. He's been inactive, and I think that's kind of hidden the fact that he's declined a ton. I mean, the man's been in the game for a long time, and his first knockout loss was to Santiago Ponzinibbio not too many fights ago. And Ponzinibbio is a lot better than Alex Garcia, but I think Alex Garcia presents a challenge to Cork McGee that Sean Strickland didn't in McGee's last fight. And that's just the challenge of how do you deal as an older guy with just a guy that's really, really physical, really powerful under the right circumstances. And that's not Sean Strickland. That is Alex Garcia. And I think Garcia is going to make this a little bit uncomfortable with, like, I think it's going to be an early finish just because I don't think McGee is that good at this point. He's, I mean, he's he used to be able to drive a pace. He used to be able to strike decently, used to be able to wrestle. But I don't think that at this point I can trust him to do that against a young guy who's very, very powerful, who has the ability to hang against guys as good as Ryan LaFleur. Yeah, so uh, we, seem, we seem to be on the same page as this one. You know, like, like, like I said, not really expecting too good of a fight out of this one. Um, uh, same theme in this next fight, man. 205 matchup, John Vellante, 16 and 10, taking on Ed Herman, who is 22 and 13. When the two fighters have 23 losses between the two of them, you know, how good can the fight be? Um, let's see what this. Uh, hey, this now don't go talking shit about Artem versus Johnson. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that's, that's a bad one, too. They, they probably have more losses, right? Oh, yeah. Probably. 27, 20, 27 losses in between that two. Um, yeah, well, we'll get to that one later. Hold, hold your horses on. I know you're. I know you're chomping at the bits to talk about that one. Um, John Volante minus two fifty. Ed Herman plus two ten on the opener. Almost no line movement on this one. I don't think a single fucker out there is betting on this fight. Uh, minus two forty five for Volante. Ed Herman plus two o five. Man, uh, Ed Herman has been super inactive. Uh, 
his I mean he I don't think he's fought in two years is that correct uh, I mean I don't remember the last time I watched this dude fight John Volante has been active but I mean how active how active can you be when you're John Volante I mean the dude is is a, a low output you know very very boring type of fighter he's got you know decent boxing but that's about it he doesn't have cardio he doesn't have power really uh, Ed Herman yep ha- has Two fights in uh, the past two years, lost both of them. Um, last win was over Tim Boach in the beginning of 2016. So, you know, but just based on activity, based on, you know, the matchup, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Volante. But uh, honestly, I would like to see Ed Herman pull this one off. Uh, I'm on Herman on this one just because I think John Volante is a thoroughly unimpressive in pretty much every single one of his last five outings. He's lost three of them, and the two he won, one was off an injury to Saperbek Safarov, who himself isn't really all that good. So the fact that you need an injury to beat him is a little bit concerning. And the second one was the um, the one at UFC 220 against Fresmar Bahos, where he had Bahos against the fence for the entire fight and did literally nothing with the entire for the entire fight with that position. I think Jean Vellante just has no idea how to push an advantage. And I think that's backed up by one of his losses to Patrick Cummins. Patrick Cummins was gushing and walking right towards him. And Jean Vellante couldn't do jack. So I don't think that there's any reason to trust Jean Vellante, even compared to Ed Herman. And Ed Herman isn't great. Ed Herman is, but Ed Herman's last good win gives me more confidence in Ed Herman than pretty much all of Jean Vellante's resume gives me in Jean Vellante. So I'm on Ed Herman, especially at the current. Yeah, I might, I might, I don't know, start cooking during these two fights, or you know, make dinner, or, you know, go for a walk, um, because like I said, it's just the entertainment value is going to be so little in those ones. Uh, it'll actually be a little bit on the side of pathetic, I'm going to guess. Um, next fight, speaking of pathetic, Andre Sukumtat, two and six, uh, taking on Jonathan Martinez, who is nine and one. Andre Sukumtat opened up in this one minus 210. Jonathan Martinez is plus 175. Andre Sukumtat is uh, now minus 175. Mar- uh, Jonathan Martinez plus 155. So the line has tightened up a bit. Sukumtat coming off that just embarrassing, embarrassing performance against uh, Sean O'Malley, where he was, you know, mostly outstruck in that one and, you know, eventually had a moment in the last 90 seconds where he could have won the fight. When uh, Sean O'Malley was limping around the octagon, unable to stand on his broken foot or ankle, and uh, Sukumtat decided to take him down and ride the round out on the on the ground. You know, he he did have an interview and say that he was you know he was rocked and he didn't barely knew where he was. He you know shot for desperation. He's gonna learn from his mistake and everything. I'd like to believe that, but um. You know, it's uh, he's it, it, that was just a really bad moment. You know, when the dude has seventeen fights already and he's still doing stuff like that, it's just not a good sign for his career. He's had a really, really rough, rough stretch in the UFC. Lost a couple really close split decisions against uh, Alberto Mor- Morales and uh, Alejandro Perez. Alejandro Perez, he knocked him down three times in that fight and lost. Um, you know, so and then obviously beating Luke's his only win in the UFC being over Luke Sanders, obviously not the highest of competition either. And uh, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of high on his opponent, Jonathan Martinez. I've been watching a few of his fights. 
Dude doesn't have that good striking. He he, but his submission game is on point. He has, uh, you know, he gets taken down a lot. Doesn't really have too good wrestling, but he's content to be on his back and go for you know submissions there. Activity bit of an issue. You know, he uh, had a, a few fights in 2015, only one in 2016, only one in 2017, and in that span, he had six fights that were canceled. Um, so, you know, just brutal, brutal for that guy. I mean, he must be, you know, heartbroken that six fights fell through. And uh, but luckily, he's getting a shot here, moving up in weight. He uh, fought at one. Tw- actually, no, his last fight was at 135, although he has fought most of his career at 125. But I believe Sukumtat also has, you know, these are both pretty small guys. Uh, I, I think if, if this fight stays on the feet, I favor Sukumtat. But, uh, I, you know, I think that Martinez might even uh, go with an, an offensive wrestling game plan this time. He's usually, you know, uh, defensive, you know, gets taken down, goes for a submission. But if he can, you know, uh, I don't think he's going to be able to compete with Sukumtat on the feet. Sukumtat's got pretty good boxing. Uh, actually got a bit of power for Bantamweight. And uh, I think that if he can, if Martinez can close the distance and get the uh, the takedown, I think that he will be able to submit Sukumtat. So this is going to be a good fucking fight. I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, at the fir- at first glance, it, you know, it seemed like a bit of a mismatch. Uh, you know, a, a somewhat proven guy like Sukumtat taking on a newcomer. But I think uh, Martinez is very game, and I think this one's going to be a great fight. Uh, I still think it's a mitch. I I. <clears throat> I think it's a mismatch, to be honest, just because I think I rate Andre Sukumthat a little bit higher than you do. I think his showing against Alejandro Perez was legitimately promising. He went full Masvidal on that one, but he dropped Perez multiple times with a jab, and then he pulled off a really, really slick counter on Luke Sanders. And Luke Sanders is the type to choke, but he's not really the type to get knocked out like that, generally. His losses have been by uh, two leg locks to... Yuri Alcantara and Joe Soto, not Joe Soto, Ronnie Aya. So, Andre Sukumtat is a pretty good fighter. I think he's better than Jonathan Martinez. I don't think Martinez will have run into the sort of uh, striking acumen that Sukumtat has, even though Sukumtat probably isn't elite at the weight class. He's at a pretty deep weight class, and his loss to Sean O'Malley shows that he is a far, far cry from elite. But I do think that Martinez is even further from what I've seen of his striking. And I don't think that the offensive wrestling of Martinez is enough to get through the boxing arsenal of Andre Super. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I, I would still cap uh, Andre as the favorite in this one. But I'm looking forward to uh, seeing if Martinez can overcome the, you know, the underdog. Well, uh, moving on, we have Misha Serkinov, who is 13-4, taking on Patrick Cummins, who is 10-5. This fight's going down at light heavyweight, and the lines opened up at Misha Serkinov minus 390, Patrick Cummins plus 320. People are still betting Serkinov at down to minus 450, Cummins up to plus 360. You know, I think that Serkinov should win this one. But the value is on Cummins in this one. I mean, it, it, it hurts to bet on Cummins. I mean, I wouldn't really advise a play on him. But the the value is clearly on Cummins. I mean, we've seen uh, you know Cummins all throughout the UFC. I mean, he started his UFC career very early. You know, four fights in his uh, MMA career. He came in fighting uh, Daniel Cormier on short notice. So he's been in the UFC for a while. And uh, you know, I don't think that Serkinov has shown anything 
too impressive to, to make him minus 450. I mean, we've seen him we've seen him get a couple of wins in the UFC over uh, Alex Nicholson, Young Kutaleba, and Krylov, but we've also seen him get knocked out twice by uh, Glover and Ozdemir. So, you know, this it's gonna be an it's gonna be an interesting fight. I think both of their chins are pretty weak, and uh, I think at one point the one of these two will knock each other out. Uh, I think the line on this makes me feel like I'm missing something really, really big with Misha Serkinov because he hasn't been impressive. And I think Patrick Cummins is a legitimately awkward fight for him in the sense that Cummins, and people may not know this, he's a D1 All-American. And Misha Serkinov is a grappler without any sort of wrestling credentials as far as I know. He's a good grappler. He's absolutely vicious from on top. He's also really, really bad from the bottom, at least from what we saw against Glover Teixeira. Jared Cannonier did a better job against Teixeira from the bottom than Serkunov was. Serkunov was flattened out and beaten up in one round. So, so Patrick Cummins, I don't think Misha Serkunov will be able to take it down. And I don't think Misha Serkunov will be able to do that well if Patrick Cummins takes it down. Right now, the cards are in the hands of Patrick Cummins. Now, on the striking it's pretty interesting in the sense that I've never thought of Serkunov as a particularly powerful striker. And that's what it seemed to take to take Cummins out because it's taken big athletic hitters like Daniel Cormier and Ovin St. Preux to put Cummins out for the count. Guys like Jean Vellante beat his face in for a whole round and nothing happened. So I don't really see a reason that Misha Serkinov not only is minus 450, but even a favorite here. I mean, he's he's off two losses. He's looked absolutely Okay, he looked absolutely pitiful against Glover Teixeira. The Ozdemir fight, I put basically no stock in because that lasted like 10 seconds. But I think Patrick Cummins is, it's very, very forgiving for Patrick Cummins. Yeah, so I think this fight will be a little bit interesting to see who goes down first. But uh, in terms of either of these guys being a top contender, I don't think we're, we're going to see anything like that. Um, moving on to the co-main event, we have the GOAT, Artem Lobov, 14-14-1, taking on Michael Johnson, who is 18-13. The betting line opened up in this one. M- Michael Johnson, minus 550. Artem Lobov, plus 350. The line is currently minus 600. Artem Lobov, plus 450. Man, that line is accurate. Minus 600 is accurate. Uh, Michael Johnson is winning this fight, uh, almost almost no doubt. He's going to box Lobov up. Uh, he's gonna hit him with that that uh, long straight left and make it make it a long left for Lobov. Am I sure if he's gonna finish him? Uh, I'm not. You know, Lobov has a, a pretty decent chin. He went five rounds with uh, Cub Swanson and uh, ate some pretty heavy shots in that one. So I think Michael Johnson will just beat the pulp out of uh, Lobov for three rounds. And barring a, a non-catastrophic error like Michael Johnson sometimes makes, uh, then I think Lobov should win this one easily. Or, or I mean, uh, Johnson should win this one e- easily. <laughs> I mean, I think that there's a lot of like people saying Johnson is inconsistent, but I think it kind of glosses over just the sort of competition he's been facing over the last few years in the sense that Darren Elkins is tough to knock out. He's very, very... And if you go while trying to knock Darren Elkins out, you gas out. Like, what happened to Mirsad Bektik and what happened to Johnson? Justin Gaethje, incredible chin. Khabib Nurmagomedov turns out to have a pretty good chin. And Michael Johnson, he's faced awkward fight after awkward fight. And with the few awkward fights he hasn't faced, he's looked pretty damn good. Against Dustin Poirier, he sparked him out in, what, a minute and a half? 
against Andre Feely, I think it was a pretty good performance from Johnson outside of that one RNC. Uh, Johnson pretty much marked him up with a straight left at will. So with that, I don't see the inconsistency of Johnson coming into play here. And Lobov doesn't really have much of a reliable win condition in the sense that he usually wants to get into the pocket to trade because his he has the reach of a toddler. And Johnson is going to destroy him there because that's where Johnson wants him to be. So there's really no reason that this line isn't wider. Like, I would... I would honestly swap this line with the hack Perez duty line because Johnson should crush him. Yeah, good point about the competition. Johnson only tends to make uh, bad mistakes over pretty elite competition, and Lil Bob is just far, far from that. I think it'll be an easy fight. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it'll it'll be tough for Lobov to, to stay in there for 15 minutes while eating all those punches. So we'll see what, where this one goes. And uh, that'll take us to the main event at light heavyweight. We have Volkan Ozdemir, who is 15-2, and two, taking on Anthony Smith, who is 13-3. And, three. and, or 13 and, or, um, excuse me, he is 30-13. and 13. Uh, Big difference from 13-3. and three. Um, uh, Volkan Ozdemir opened up minus 175. Anthony Smith, plus 155. The, uh, you know, a lot of money coming in on this fight, but the line's still not moving a lot. Uh, we Volkan Ozdemir is minus 165. Smith, plus 145. So, the line margins have tightened uh, a, a bit, so it seems like people are trusting uh, um, Anthony Smith as a little bit more of a, of a favorite, or excuse me, they're trusting Anthony Smith as a dog a little bit more than the favorite Volkan Ozdemir. And both these guys are powerful strikers. Uh, you know, we've seen we've seen Volkan, uh, you know, knock a couple dudes out in the UFC. We've also seen him get you know uh, taken down and pounded out in the UFC. He uh, it's it's really hard to get a good read on on what kind of fighter Volkan Ozmir is. He's he starts off strong and aggressive, and he gets his guys you know flustered if they're not willing to brawl. Like he like he did. He even had DC a little bit you know flustered. He looked a little, uh, DC looked pretty uncomfortable in the first round before he started getting his groove. And, and um, you know so that's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see if if Volkan will come out that aggressive style and and start brawling right away. I mean, I think someone's going to get knocked out in this one. Uh, I think if if it ends in the first the first two rounds, I think it'll be Ozdemir getting the knockout. If it ends any later than that, I think it'll be Smith getting the knockout. So I I, I like Smith's chances. I I you know we've seen him booked for five rounds a lot. Uh, we've seen Ozdemir get fall out of a couple fights. Apparently, he broke his nose in August uh, training for the Alexander Gustafsson fight. You know, that's not that long ago for a broken nose. Uh, so if that's honestly true, you know, you could pull out of fights for all different reasons, saying it's this injury, it's this. But if that's true, that he broke his nose, you know, four months ago, that could be a huge fucking problem for uh, a fight against Anthony Smith, where he's no doubt going to be taking some punches on the nose. So I think this one's going to be a barn burner. It's it's a it's a great main event. Man, I, like, I love the light heavyweight division. There's not a lot of skill. You know, there's not a lot of well-roundedness, but there's a lot of guys who are willing to, to stand and bang, and that's what these guys are going to do, and uh, one of them will go down. So I'm going to favor Anthony Smith. It seems like more of a 50-50 fight, and, you know, the, the value will, will side with Smith. So I'm going to side with uh, Lionheart is his, is his nickname. Um, and uh, what's your take on this one, Sri Ram? Uh, I honestly don't think Smith is very good at all in the sense that he's gotten through the light heavyweight division by taking out two guys who frankly should not be fighting at this stage. And he was two rounds down to 2017 Hector Lombard. 
given that information, I don't think Anthony Smith is a good fighter. In the grand scheme of things, I don't think he is. He's powerful, he's athletic, but I can't tell you something that he's really, really good at. The way I can tell you that Volkan Ozdemir is even a decent distance kickboxer. I can't tell you that Anthony Smith is decent at distance. I can't tell you that Anthony Smith is a decent fighter on the inside. And this sounds really harsh, and I guess I'm kind of intending it that way because I don't think Volkan Ozdemir is all that good either, but he's at least decent. He's a decent distance kickboxer. He was able to punish DC's characteristic, exaggerated, deep lean with a few left hooks. He was able to go toe-to-toe with OSP, and OSP is athletic and powerful. And OS and Ozdemir, of course, has those two total meme knockouts over Serkinov and Manoa. And I think that's enough for me to favor Vulcan Ozdemir here, even if he's not as... Like, I don't think the phrase is well-rounded. He's more of a specialist than Smith in the sense that Smith has gotten submissions before. But Ozdemir is a lot better in the areas where he knows how to do things than Smith is everywhere put together. So I think Ozdemir picks this up if it ends in the first two or three. If it goes past that, I still wouldn't give Smith an all that good chance because he's just not that good. Yep, I agree with you. He's, uh, you know, like you said, a lot of think this line is a bit closer because of those two most recent wins over the old guys. But uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I just don't trust Vulcan as much either. So this will be a good, uh, a, a good one between two relatively unknown guys. And I'm sure one of them will come out seeming a bit more legit. But So uh, that'll do it for this uh, Montcon New Brunswick card going down Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern time. The Fox Sports pre- or the FS1 prelims or the, excuse me, the USC Fight Pass prelims probably start around 6.30, transition to Fox around 8, and then the main card at 10. So uh, with that being said, we will just talk about two quick news stories that are, that happened throughout the week. I believe two of the biggest ones. Um, we had Luke Rockhold falling out of his fight with uh, Chris Weidman, citing a, a plethora of injuries, uh, you know, broken nose, a hurt knee or a hurt rib, who knows what. Sounded pretty banged up and then decided to pull out. Um, you know, I, I believe it would, it's a probably legitimate injury. This would have been a huge spot for Weidman to get, or for Rocco to get back in there. And unfortunately, he didn't. He fell short. And uh, so, but luckily, they, they scrambled together and they made a good uh, a good fight to uh, you know fulfill in that injury. They moved uh, Jacques Array, who was fighting um, David Branch on this card, in for uh, Luke Rocco. Now it's going to be Chris Weidman versus Jacques Array Souza. It's been a fight that's been on the radar for I want to say five years now and it's finally happening so uh this will be a fucking amazing fight i really can't wait i I don't even want to predict it yet because i haven't really thought about it in depth enough but it's going to be a good one and uh who knows what they're going to do with dave branch i heard jared cannonier was in quest was in talks for filling in i don't know if that's a done deal yet though but uh yeah so uh a little bit bummed out obviously about the rockhold uh um Weidman fight falling through, but I think the replacement is pretty good in this one, too. Uh, it was done, by the way. It was uh, a few days ago. They announced it officially. But I think David Branch is the one that's really getting shafted here for the sa- like in the same manner that he was shafted for the Orlando card, and both involved Luke Rockhold, and so did his last loss. So uh, Luke Rockhold is kind of a demon hanging over uh, <laughs> David Branch, poor but yeah, he was canvassing for uh, the Jack Ray fight for a long time, and he got it with 
two really, really good video call-outs that were absolutely hilarious. And he got screwed by someone else's injury that should have been totally irrelevant to him. So uh, press F to pay respects there. But I've got uh, I've got Weidman pretty easily over Jacare. And I don't really know what to make of Rockhold's injury, especially considering that he hasn't been in for a for quite a long time, since February. And, I mean, Rockhold's never been that active. I remember he took a year-long break between uh, the Bisping loss and the branch fight because, I don't know, a hurt, a hurt ego, I guess. But there's uh, this isn't really out of the ordinary for American knee assassins. So, I mean, I'm not too broken up about it. The card's still good, as good as it was beforehand. I just, you know, the only person I really feel for in this situation is David Branch. For sure. Um, yeah, just terrible that thing broke, fell through. Um, and uh, the last story of the podcast, uh, probably the biggest one from the past couple of weeks, we had a, a I don't know, I don't know if it's if it's official yet, but there, it seems it seems just about official. There's no official announcement from the UFC, but it was broke by Ariel Helwani on ESPN and a lot of other reporters that the UFC and one championship are in talks of uh, of a trade between two fighters. Something that we, hasn't gone on since I think the Pride days when they traded like Chuck Liddell to Pride or something like that in 2004 but they're trying to trade the UFC flyweight former flyweight champion Demetrius Johnson one of the best pound for pound fighters in the history of the of the company for Ben Askren the welterweight champion of uh, 1FC the former Bellator champion he is an 18 and 0 uh, incredible wrestler um but you know it it it's I, i'm sure that uh, we haven't even talked about this but I, I think that you and i are on the same page is that they're trading away one of the best fighters of all time who you know they basically just to get him out of their hair to get him out of promoting him to get out of their division to get out of you know hearing him complain about how he's not treated equally or, or promoted equally they're just they're just trading that all away just to get a guy who might be a top five Walter Reed, who might fight you know Colby or Tyrone or GSP or you know I don't understand it man you have a guy who who is does everything he he wrestles he strikes he he submits people he's one of the most exciting fighters well-rounded fighters in the history of the UFC one you know 11 12 13 fights in the UFC in a row and then he loses one fight and then all of a sudden you're trying to talk him into trading getting traded away before he even has his rematch I don't know. It, 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 you know, at the same time, it's it's cool to see that this is possible. The trades are possible, but but man, does this not feel like a good a good deal? So, uh, go, I'll give you your, your chance uh, to share your thoughts on this one. What are you thinking? Uh, this was just outright stupidity from the UFC because with Eddie Alvarez leaving as well to uh, one championship, the that promotion now has a claim to having two divisional goats or at least divisional top fives in their roster and the UFC letting that go for Ben Askren is supremely questionable to say the least just because I don't think Askren is very good at all and this might be my hot take for the podcast but no Ben Askren from what I've seen he is not very good at all he is the male version of Cindy Dandois his striking is absolutely woeful and he can't set up his takedowns like even a guy like Maya can when Maya's failed against every top wrestler he's faced in his last three fights. So I don't think that Ben Askren, the wet blanket, 
the deficient Jake Shields, Cindy Mandwa is a worthwhile trade when it comes to when it comes to letting go of Demetrius Johnson, a legitimate lineal champion. If you ignore the absolute abortion of a decision he suffered at UFC 227, it's one of the worst decisions that WME has ever made, and it's it's pitiful. There's no reason for it. Yeah, it's a, it's a damn shame, man. I'm, I'm currently rocking my my Demetrius Johnson flyweight champion T-shirt as we as we record this too. Uh, I think I might have worn it, you know, picking on a shirt today specifically for this reason. But it's it's you know I I'm a little bit disagreeing with you on on Askren. I think that he is a very legitimate opponent. I think that he will give you know I, I mean at the top of welterweight right now we have three of some of the best wrestlers in the UFC: Colby, Tyrone, and. Uh, GSP, and I think uh, you know. Obviously, one of them is uh, a villain already. Kobe is uh, plays that villain role already, but um, he uh, Askren is coming in with the same the same sort of stick. He is not doing as much uh, make America great again stuff, but you know, at, at heart, he is definitely a super hardcore conservative. Uh, he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast, you know, talking about conspiracies and you know Trump and everything like that. So I mean, I, I listen to the podcast and I like them. I like them. I like the guy a lot. Uh, I think that uh, you know, aside from his you know radical political stuff, I think that everything he said about wrestling and was was super knowledgeable. So I, I I really think that he deserves to be in the UFC. But this is just not the way, man. They 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 had the chance to sign Askren to the UFC four years ago, and now they're trading away one of their best pound-for-pound fighters. He's John Jones, GSP, and and Demetrius Johnson are the three top pound-for-pound fighters to fight in the UFC in the past, uh, I want to say, five years. And I just don't... You would never, ever trade GSP or or, or John Jones away for anybody who's, you know, un, relatively unproven. But just because Demetrius is little, just because he hasn't sold many pay-per-view buys, just because he maybe goes through the decision a lot and doesn't have the most standard bag exciting fights, that they're willing to sacrifice him to just get Askren. Uh, it's 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 incredible. I, I, I'm hoping it's not really true. I'm hoping that it's, oh, no, 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 we're signing Askren. Demetrius isn't going anywhere. Oh, thank God. Uh, you know, but you know, it, it's not looking that way. Demetrius Johnson has changed his Twitter handle, removed the UFC from his Twitter handle, so it's not looking good. It's it's going to be a sad day when that gets announced, and uh, not looking forward to it at all. I mean, okay, so first of all, the three names you mentioned, I have to say, Jose Aldo would put above all of them, and second of all, I think the difference between guys like Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington compared to Ben Askren, is that Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington know what they're doing on the feet. And Colby Covington, he's not a good striker in any sort of conventional sense. But he knows what he wants to do on the feet. And by that, I mean he wanted to drive a pace against RDA and drive it back. So he did. He wanted to keep his hips as far away from Maya as possible and wear him down with striking, and he did. And Maya would look like Floyd Mayweather compared to Ben Askren. It's simply the truth. Ben Askren... He is, it's well, simply well, my, impossible. Well, can't wrestle. My can't wrestle at all. I think of his striking. It's simply impossible. I've seen it, and it disgusts me. So I don't really think that he is a top welterweight in any sense. Give him someone like Carlos Condit, yeah, he'll crush. Give him someone like Leon Edwards, he'll lose badly. Give him someone like Stephen Thompson, he'll get curb stomped. Give him someone like I don't even know. Give him RDA, and RDA will destroy him. Eh, so I don't. I think I think he'd beat him just like Colby, Colby beat him. 
just just like, like my, just like we that decision that we eternally disagree on the Colby versus RDA. Um, I I don't know. Yeah, I think that so obviously his striking is no good, but there's he makes up for it, man. His wrestling is is really good. His takedowns are good. His control is incredible. His hand fighting, he'll fucking grab your wrist for a second, and then right when you're thinking about, hey, I gotta get his hand off my wrist. Oh, he's punching me in the face. He's grabbing your other wrist. He's trapping your arm. He's punching you in the face. You know, he's got really really good. It's not the most exciting stuff, but he he's winning MMA fights in in very unique fashion for sure. I mean, the dude hasn't gotten hit in the head in the past like three three or four fights that's pretty inc- incredible no I mean, matter what no matter what his, even though it's boring i i can't agree with that his wrestling is isn't overhyped but i have to question how much his wins mean when the two best wins he had are andre Korshkov, douglas lima both as green as you could possibly get them when one of them wasn't even training wrestling and i think ben Askren, he's kind of a He's asked to be in the UFC for a long time, right? But he's benefited from the UFC denying him more than anything else. His legend would not have grown if the UFC had taken him in at that point because the man would have gotten crushed by anyone with the semblance of striking. And I think, I mean, he's talking shit to everyone on Twitter now. It's kind of sad. Everyone's bringing out the big guns to shit on him, which is totally deserved because the man just irks me. And I think Ben Askren, he's... People are going to treat it like a what if when he loses. They're going to make excuses about how if they had gotten him on four years earlier that he would have done well. And I mean, I think he does have the possibility to do well with a lot of refinement. But if the Ben Ashkin we saw in his last fight, in his last few fights, shows up against anyone in the top 10, save maybe Neil Magny, he is going to get absolutely destroyed. And I don't believe that that's a worthwhile trade for one of the best fighters in the world. I mean, Demetrius Johnson, I haven't rated him as highly as people have. Because, like, you know, people have called him pound for pound number one, and people have called him, you know, uh, people have called him pound for pound number one, and people have called him a total bum fighting in a bum division. I disagree with both. I think he's fighting in a division better than light heavyweight and heavyweight, but he's not one of, he's not the greatest fighter of all time. That said, there is no argument, in my opinion, to have him outside of, like, the top five. There is simply no argument. So trading him for Ben Askren is just baffling to me. It will never stop being baffling to me. Yeah, uh, a couple things you said. Uh, the Ald- I would like to believe the Aldo thing being better than them, but I mean Aldo's lost three times. You know he's got he not he got lost lost to McGregor and then got beaten by uh, Holloway twice. And I just think that you know GSP maybe might have lost to Hendricks. You know uh, Demetrius maybe might have lost to Cejudo, but those guys have you know won twelve, thirteen fights in a row. Same with uh, Jones, twelve or thirteen in a row. Just so I think those three are the, are the top ones. But I would love to make an argument for Aldo. I think he's a little bit out of that league at this moment. And uh, we seem to be on the same page about the Demetrius not being worth it. But I'm gonna like I said I'll disagree a little bit. I think that Ben will have success in the UFC. We'll see how far it goes, we'll, and uh, I would like to see him against you know Colby or something like that. That would be a great fight. But um, that, that I'm uh, kind of tight for time right now, so I think that'll have to wrap up the episode. Sriram, give everybody your uh, your follow, where to follow you, where your Twitter, your bet MMA tips, your everything. Uh, it's just uh, sh- okay. Sriram says S R I R A M says on bet MMA tips. Sriram M says on uh, on Twitter. I don't know why they're different, but they are. And uh, you can catch my stuff on Fansided when I post them. It's just under my name. So uh, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming back on. And congrats about your uh, starting your writing gig. And I uh, hope to have you back on in the future, my man. 
And uh, yep. la- ladies, you. gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast, thank you for tuning in to episode 37 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. And I will see you guys before UFC 230 next week. Peace. Thank you.